You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hi, this is Dana Perkins, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNEF podcast. So this winter, there have been some unusually warm and unusually cold weeks. And certainly, people are talking not just about the weather, but the energy crisis. The conversation around natural gas and how it fits into the future of the energy system, and really what that energy system overall looks like as the energy transition gets underway, has something that has been front of mind for many people. Certainly, the companies in the energy transition, and of course, policymakers. So, today we have the opportunity to investigate the policy aspect more deeply. Emma Champion, here at BNEF, is head of regional energy transitions research, and she was able to sit down in conversation with Dr. Patrick Greichen, state secretary at the Federal Ministry for Economic Affairs and Climate Action for Germany, and they discuss the ongoing energy crisis. Even as the days are getting longer and we can almost see spring approaching on our calendars, this conversation is not going to stop when we get to the summer. So what steps can and should be taken? Well, I'm going to leave that conversation with Emma and Dr. Greichen. As a reminder, BNEF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and we have a complete disclaimer at the very end of the show. Hi, everyone. My name is Emma Champion. I sit on the analyst side at BNF, um, working on our energy transitions coverage of the European region. And today I am actually so excited and, in fact, honored to be uh, playing MC for today's episode because we get to have a really important conversation with an exceptional guest. So joining us on the show today to discuss some of the policy responses to the ongoing energy crisis here in Europe and transition opportunities that might help us get out of this situation is Germany's State Secretary of the Ministry for Economic Affairs and Climate Action, Dr. Patrick Greichen. Thank you so much for joining us today, Patrick, and welcome to Switched On. Yeah, thanks for having me, Emma. I'm really delighted to discuss because there's so much going on. Absolutely. I think to start with, needless to say, at least from my perspective, it's been a particularly eventful 18 months to be an analyst covering European energy markets. We've seen gas prices hit those unprecedented highs, energy costs adding to a lot of the inflationary pressures that are facing European economies and governments as a result staging quite deep and unprecedented interventions into our energy markets to help contain those costs, uh, support the struggling industries and households, as well as utilities in some cases. 
And markets have been almost haywire over 2022 following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We've seen extreme volatility in energy prices. So I kind of want to start off with a really quite broad question, but one I think a lot of people have been asking themselves at various moments over this crisis. Patrick, do you think our energy markets are broken? And I guess what we're really getting at here is what do you think is the root cause of the crisis? The real cause of the crisis is very simple. We're lacking 130 BCM of gas from Russia. And that, of course, has a substantial reaction from Europe to somehow cope with that. And of course, that means high gas prices. It means public activity to increase the availability of LNG to Europe. And it will take a while until global markets have rearranged. And of course, because the power market is linked to the gas market in the sense that gas power plants are setting the price in the power market, we are seeing those high electricity prices. But at the end of the day, I'd say markets are functioning. Yeah. Absolutely. I kind of want to reflect on some of the lessons that we can and maybe should already be taking away from crisis management, particularly from your perspective and time now as a policymaker during this time. And so let's dig into some of the measures that are already being implemented for this winter. I'm in London. We've already seen over some of this month, indeed across much of the rest of Europe, snow and sustained sub-zero temperatures. This is generating more and more concern around energy costs and looking forward. I guess I want to know what in your mind, should governments be prioritizing to minimize the negative effects of this crisis? It's very clear that we would need to reduce our gas demand by some 20% over the next 18 months in Europe. Mm -hmm. And essentially, the price will do part of this. We see already how a price has driven down gas demand in industry. But then there are other effects where we would also need government intervention, lower heat demand to boost energy efficiency, to boost renewables, to basically we did the coal back online in order to get basically gas power plants less full all hours. So th those are essentially all the things that we need to do when it comes to basically gas flows. Then, of course, we have the gas price issue. And there we have, of course, for customers, huge price increases. We somehow need to find a way that they can cope with it. That's why a lot of governments have handed out subsidies. But on the other hand, there are also people who make a lot of money now. And we should also take some of those extra profits and give them back to customers. I want to dig into some of those ideas a little further. So maybe let's talk about the demand and price dynamics. We've already seen, to your point, that many consumers across the segments from residential to industry are already responding to this higher price environment and reducing their consumption. My colleagues on the BNF gas team are tracking gas demand destruction in Germany at over 15%, even since it got colder over the recent weeks. Um, and that's according to our provisional kind of implied demand data. But we've also seen, uh, to your point, about many governments, including in Germany, you're rightly putting in place measures to help contain costs for consumers and support their energy bills. I guess the question here is, is there a dilemma where there are risks of going too far in shielding consumers from price increases and thereby actually muting the effect of some of those price signals to reduce demand? I guess, like, what's the sweet spot? <laughs> Well, what we are doing is the shielding of customers has to still have the full incentive to reduce demand. 
which is why at the end of the day it is a lump sum money calculated on previous demand but it's a lump sum transfer that we're doing that means you still have the full incentive to reduce your gas demand because you still see the gas high prices on your marginal demand and therefore i think that's what is needed uh, shield customers through a mechanism which still gives the full incentive to reduce yeah, I understand. But it's certainly a tricky one, though, to get the balance right. And I mean, to be fair, as to my point, we are still tracking demand destruction happening in real time. So I think we're not quite at that point where it's completely inelastic. To the price. I mean, if you look at now the cold times, then essentially what is happening, and that's our problem, because French nukes are down, demand from France in electricity is so high, the imports, especially when it gets cold, that then gas power plants in all neighboring countries are producing for France. That is, in essence, something that will be, I think, the major risk throughout this winter. How much a cold spell will, on the one hand, increase gas demand in the heating sector, and on the other hand, city demand in France, which they cannot meet themselves. I think we would agree with you here that at least the biggest priority has to be focusing on gas demand and mechanisms to support the gas price side of things. The question and risks around the crazy power market dynamics we've seen over this year, especially as you point out with French nuclear output being at almost record lows, that they're all definitely things on our radar. I guess maybe to dig in a little bit more on the gas price side, you know, we've seen a number of interventions being proposed and in some cases even implemented across the region, but also not a lot of progress, if I dare to say, on, on some of the mechanisms that have been floated to support gas price to actually uh, mitigate some of the high gas price environment that we're seeing. I kind of want to know your view on what kind of interventions on the gas side are likely to be most successful. And I'm particularly thinking post this winter. So if we're thinking one, two, three years out. No, I think joint purchasing by Europe on the global LNG market would, of course, drive down producers' rent here and increase our buyer power here. So that's something we should definitely do. And then, of course, the second thing is, will we see increased export capacity over the coming months and years? Now, there are some projects that are envisaged. A lot, I think, will come only 2025, 2026. And therefore, we will, I think, have to find a way to keep efficiency, renewables and others really as strong pillars over the next 24, 36 months in order to have gas demand lower than we had it in 2021. With those measures, we need to be able to get the gas market back to normal. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. 
Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Yeah, I guess it's definitely been floated for a little while now, the question of joint gas purchasing. Are you optimistic that will kind of progress? Well, used to be something where also Germany was very hesitant. We have switched our position. Given the high gas prices on the LNG market, I think there is a very good cause and case, which is now different to all the discussions that we had up to 2021. So therefore... I would say, yes, 2023 will be the year where we'll see joint gas purchasing. And of course, you know, that there have already been a range of successful measures in some cases for the gas markets, including support for the midstream gas storage targets we saw kind of effectively rolled out across the region and also to the point you raised earlier about downstream support to consumers. We already talked a little bit about how the high gas price environment is also having spillover consequences for our power markets because electricity prices are very often set by gas as the marginal supply source in, in the region. So maybe want to dig in a little bit into some of the measures on the electricity side of things. Now, back in October, for those listening, the European Commission did set the stage for the EU to implement measures, including things like levies on fossil fuel production, as well as clawbacks on electricity generators' profits, namely those inframarginal technologies like nuclear and renewables and lignite. But in practice, being a... Uh, analysts have been tracking kind of some of the measures that have actually started to be rolled out. And we've noticed a real mixture of measures starting to take effect across the region. So Germany announced its windfall clawbacks on electricity generation, which go actually deeper than the EU threshold of 180 euros per megawatt hour. Germany's, I believe, is 130 threshold with a 90% tax rate. And France has a perhaps even more aggressive and different clawback as well, starting from 100 euros per megawatt hour. And they are planning to implement that for an even longer period of time than recommended by the commission. I think for starters, these clawbacks are creating some discussions among the utilities around, you know, use of these proceeds. And I want to ask you in particular, do you see any risks to so many differentiated responses now taking place among EU member states? Not really. I mean, we see huge extra profits out there and no one was planning with them. 
be honest, no one would have predicted a power price of some 500 euros per megawatt hours or, or even higher that we have seen this summer. And if you take basically the 2023 expectations, we're also well above 300 euros per megawatt hour. I've seen a lot of models, but none of them have really kind of had those numbers. People out there are making a lot of money. And if governments say a part of that should be given back to customers, then that's fair enough. The question is rather, how long will those measures last and what happens afterwards? We have said they, they should end the end of April 2024. I think others in Europe are also saying the crisis is not over in summer 2023. But I'm in 2024, it will be over. And therefore, the question is really, what is the investment environment and when do we go back to normal? And there, I would say everyone can be expecting that in 2024, we will be returning back to normal markets. Yeah, I think we agree in terms of the investment signal, particularly for new technologies like onshore wind and PV, which are now very much cheaper to run, even to build new than even running the existing coal and gas fired fleet, especially in this commodity price environment. So I think the investment signal question, like the fundamentals are there. Um, everything in our models agrees, build renewables to displace that existing generation and definitely agreed with you as well on the question around duration of these mechanisms. I know at least here in the UK, the clawback that's now been proposed by, by our government is planned to run through till 2028, at least in the press release that they announced last month. So that's definitely a question mark around, around duration. And I think in some cases, if we're talking about measures that may extend over the kind of six to eight month time horizon and into the year, maybe even five years in the case of the UK, we do kind of reflect on the question around, will there be perhaps slightly stronger signals for investment in new build renewables in certain markets over others, especially given things like supply chain constraints that uh, many renewable energy developers are facing. I think the question mark around whether there will be slightly different decisions made is an interesting one still. I agree, of course. And the, the European Commission will now propose some market design reforms and I guess a lot will be hinging towards for difference all over Europe, which the UK has as the standard model for renewables, because that then gives certainty to investors. But at the same time, it also has some sort of automatic cap on extra profits there in, in builds. Uh, so that is something I would expect to be coming out of Brussels and to be also debated and discussed among member states throughout 2023. And we've just increased the auction price on wind and solar by 25% because of higher prices of raw materials and steel and everything that we see out there. So yes, inflation is there. We will see for probably some years higher prices, but that will also trigger new investment and then prices will come back down again. So oh, these are special times. We need to adapt and react. But I, I would see that Europe uh, does that. Yeah, I think we agree on, on this point a lot about the need to reflect on how the market design is laid out, particularly as we move to technologies in the energy system that, you know, very much increasingly become based on their fixed costs and less on their variable costs. I guess maybe just to dig one level deeper on, on that, maybe just thinking about the renewable side of things, you mentioned CFD auction designs, which have been very important in bringing lots of new renewables to the markets. And we have various designs across Europe, 
I guess we're we're actually facing similar reforms or at least proposals for reforms to how this happens in the UK here. And we have governments starting to think about how do we balance the need for keeping the incentive for new investment in renewables to also balance the needs of the power system itself to operate, you know, have operational signals that enable things like flexibility and other things. What do you think is most important to get right in the immediate term for kind of market design changes? You've been highlighting that this is about, first of all, getting investments done. And second, the spot markets to be, I think, the key price signal that we okay. need in order to have flexibility and everything to have a real-time dispatch of the supply and demand work. And that's essentially what we need to solve. Those CFDs, whether or not they are towards kilowatt hours or maybe rather kilowatts, what is it that basically ensures investment certainty and at the same time gives the incentive to optimize yourself towards a very variable spot market? And there are answers to that if you ask economists and we should listen to them. But I'm quite confident that we will get that also done within Europe as part of the negotiations in 2023. Yeah, and I know that this has been on the agenda for the Commission and the wider EU member states for a while now, at least since I've been covering the onset of the European Green Deal, the market design reforms have been on the agenda. So hopefully one of the perhaps shallow benefits that are there in this whole crazy environment that we find ourselves in is that it's accelerated that discussion. One one more thing. We've been pushing very hard last year, and that looks like now we will really be able to implement it to ease in permitting processes to have everything really fast and speedy when it comes to wind and solar uh, installation and and permitting. Really, basically get to those six months of permitting process, which the European Commission has been announcing in the Repower EU. And therefore, I would say this is the moment to really kickstart the renewable revolution in Europe, because it's very clear that is the only real sustainable answer to this uh, high gas price crisis. It's not going to be LNG from elsewhere, but it's going to be wind and solar produced in Europe. Yeah, you've actually very well preempted the next question that I had for you, which is very much about the transition opportunities that are emerging in response to this crisis. We've long had this discussion around solving the energy trilemma, you know, that our optimal energy system should balance one, lowest cost for consumers, Two, it should be clean, it should be sustainable. Three, it should be reliable and secure. And actually, for me personally, I would add a fourth dimension there, which is we need to be talking about pace of delivery. Now, from my perspective, energy security has never been so high on the agenda, and it is increasingly clear that transition is part of energy security, especially with the need to cultivate accelerated deployments of local renewables. However, unfortunately, our analysis continues to find that there is actually just a really sizable, huge disconnect between what's needed in terms of scale up of clean energy capacity and the reality of what's happening on the ground. You've mentioned permitting. We know that there are a number of challenges facing the scale up of renewables. And I know Germany has quite recently updated its own clean energy targets as part of that Easter package earlier in in 2022. What beyond just getting the permitting right do you think is key to addressing those challenges in accelerating deployments at the pace that we actually need? So permitting is one thing, I've alluded to that. The second thing is also to increase the capacity along the whole value chain. 
I've talked to wind producers and asked them, so are you prepared for that huge demand that will come all over Europe for additional windmills, for additional pillars, for additional technologies that are associated with that, like grid connection and stuff? And there I was astonished that they weren't. So it's, it is also about industrial policy here, because if I add up the wind offshore targets, for example, of uh, UK, Germany, Denmark, Netherlands, and now also Poland and Baltics, then we're talking about quadrupling the factory sizes that we need to produce all that. So I think that will be the next real challenge, basically the capacity to build that stuff and not just the market design. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common... It's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. How important do you think the energy security dimension to the supply chain is in that equation as a policymaker? How do you think about that? We didn't pay enough attention to that in the past, I would say. Uh, I would feel a lot safer if we knew that, let's say, some 50% or so of European demand on wind, solar and batteries and grid technologies and everything it can also be produced within Europe. And the European Commission, I think, is now waking up to that. We will need additional instruments to that. Von der Leyen has said we will, for a few years, need to relax our strict state aid rules. And I totally agree, because uh, we need, in this context, 
also as a response to the Inflation Reduction Act in the US, have a strong industrial policy in Europe that uh, delivers on all those targets. That's really interesting. I guess beyond clean power, we know that other parts of the economy also need to transition, especially when we talk about sectors like heating. And we need to strike the right balance between supporting industries and companies and even households with their energy costs while still encouraging them to decarbonize. Now, as you will well know, the European Commission's Repower EU plan, which was kind of set up in response to the invasion of Ukraine earlier in the year, set some pretty lofty targets to structurally cut gas demand by over half across our entire economy by 2030. That would require us to drive down gas use, not just in power, uh, you know, relying on renewables, but also in heating and industry too. What are your thoughts on Repower EU now? And what kind of measures do you think will be required to actually deliver on it? I'm very grateful for the European Commission to have put forward Repower EU because it was clear we needed an response in this crisis and not just the Fit for 55 package, which in itself was already very ambitious. And then the additional 1-2022 ordinances that they proposed. Now, what is key is heat pumps. So quick, a lot of heat pumps all over Europe, that reduces gas demand in the heating sector. Second, what is needed is, as I've said, quick permitting procedures. And there we need to change European legislation in order to be quicker on national level. So that is key and crucial in that regard. And the third is that industrial policy approach to those key technologies like wind, solar, batteries and grid technologies. I think we need more of reducing gas demand in a hurry. There are some things that are just switching from gas to oil, which is the short-term measure. But what is really transformatory is switching from gas to electricity, not only private households, but also within industry. And of course, ramping up everything we can on the renewable electricity. And I mean, that there also does have to be somewhat of a discussion around the risks to our carbon footprint of things like the Repower EU package, which do more heavily rely on coal generation, for example, in Europe. And actually, while prepping for this interview with you, I spent a lot of time talking to many BNF analysts and people in our teams. And one of the questions that came up, and this is maybe a little bit broader, a step away from Repower EU specifically, but more about the role of climate policy and our targets in light of this energy crisis and the example that Europe has to be setting to the rest of the world. And maybe to be quite simple on the question, but something that came out of COP recently in Egypt is the whole, how do we keep 1.5 alive? I guess that's my question for you. How do we in light of this situation? Well, it is, of course, a challenge. And let's not shy away from it. We are using more coal than we thought, and we've prolonged the lifetime of our coal power plants, which we already were shutting down up until March 2024. So these are 18 months of additional coal power, which we have to take. But the good news is we're not changing anything on the emissions trading system. The cap mm -hmm. is up and negotiations in Brussels have really delivered on a strict reform of, of the ETS, which is why we see high prices, mm -hmm. continuously high prices on EU CO2 allowances. And at the moment, gas prices go back down. 
we will see the coal phase out just happening uh, faster than you have ever thought. I would expect the second half of this decade, 2025, 2026 onwards, that you'll see basically the whole coal phase out happening in Europe. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the signal to the rest of the world is, in essence, we're continuing on the energy transition. You'll see, I think, the fastest rollout ever in this year and in last year. The coal phase out will happen the second part of this decade faster than you ever thought. Yeah, I think I think this aligns with a lot of the internal thinking that we're doing as well. I guess my very last question for you for today is, again, a slightly broader one, stepping back in light of the current geopolitical situation. And you've already mentioned several quite game-changing perspectives that have started to shift across Europe. Just as one example, the relaxing potentially of state aid rules to be able to kind of support domestic manufacturing of clean energy components within the region. I guess in light of our current geopolitics, are those principles that sat at the heart of European energy policy for the last few decades of a liberalized clean energy market now really at odds with delivering on our energy security goals? I do think that the European Commission and its basically safeguarding the competition rules, they have put too little emphasis on, but we need that stuff. We need <laughs> those factories in Europe. And I think what we're now needing is, this is not about an individual member state having the now advantages vis-a-vis -vis other member states. That's not what we want. What we want is that within Europe, we have the industrial capacity for all those technologies. So what this is really about is finding new state aid rules and also European instruments that allow for government funding for new factories in Europe. And that's then the European answer to the Inflation Reduction Act. While the focus has very much been on, we don't want competition between member states and we need to basically ensure that. And that has then led to too little investment. Mm -hmm. The question will now be, how do we ensure that investment takes place in Europe? And of course, also, this shouldn't lead one member state to be more advanced than others. But I see a convergence on these issues. I think I tend to agree, especially on the alignment between energy security and decarbonizing the energy systems. Perhaps the question of how to do this well in terms of liberalizing markets is a slightly different question. And it definitely aligns with some of the this one question that honestly, I think every single client has asked AB Nifer at some point over this last year is, will this crisis accelerate or decelerate the transition? And I think there, should, <laughs> there is no simple answer to that other than to say it's mixed and it depends what we're really, what we're really talking about. Well, um, well, I would say it does accelerate. If you look at what the IEA has just put out in their report of the, how they expect the renewables to accelerate. Mm -hmm. Of course, we will have higher emissions in the power sector 2022-2023 because of short-term measures on oil and coal. But at the same time, structurally, this is driving renewables and this is driving electrification. And that's what the energy transition is about. I would be very confident that if you look at short-term indicators, you might have a different view to this. But if you're looking at what happens structurally, then this is speeding up the energy transition. For sure. And that also aligns with many of the key findings of our new energy outlook as well. 
I could have asked so many more questions to you today, but unfortunately we are getting towards the end of our time. Patrick, I want to thank you for such an insightful conversation today. I think it's a really critical time for us to be reflecting on the responses that are taking place to the energy crisis while taking the time to think forward about the emerging energy transition opportunities. Um, thank you so much again for joining us today, Patrick. Yes, thank you, Emma, for having me. And uh, let's see what 2023 will bring. Today's episode of Switched On was edited by Rex Warner of Greystoke Media. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute nor should it be construed as investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording and any liability of this recording is expressly disclaimed. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.